0: Welcome to Navigation and Discovery with Cameron Singh. On this podcast episode, we have Dr. John Barnett from the University of Charleston. This is where I received my doctorate in executive leadership. And Dr. Barnett was one of our deans and also faculty. And he's been a great mentor of mine, uh, getting me through the executive leadership doctorate program. And um, he has an awesome story to share about his experience in the military. Dr. Barnett has pretty extensive experience in the military, and also is a huge champion of higher education. So he's gonna share some of the lessons learned on an experience where he faced a lot of chaos in a moment of crisis. So really hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Um, if you have not yet caught the previous podcast episodes, feel free to check those out. And also, if you haven't gotten the copy of Navigation and Discovery, which is my first book, you can get it at cameronsingbook.com. So here's the podcast episode with Dr. Barnett. Dr. Barnett, thank you for uh, being on the podcast. Uh,
1: thank you, Cameron. It's, it's wonderful to be with you.
0: Yeah, so uh, just to give you a little bit about uh, how I know Dr. Barnett, so Dr. Barnett is the Dean of Continuing Professional Education at the University of Charleston, and um, we got to know each other very well when I pursued my uh, doctorate of leadership at the University of Charleston in West Virginia. Uh, So Dr. Barnett, tell us a little bit about your background and and yourself.
1: Um, Thanks. Uh Thanks. My background is in uh, basically in three areas. I I was uh, in the military uh, for 44 years. I was uh, drafted into the Army uh, and uh, culminated that career uh, after 44 years with uh, promotion to uh, Major General. I was uh, uh, a commander of the uh, West Virginia Army Guard from uh, 1995 to 2010. Uh, And I was also at the same time in a dual hat position as the chief of staff uh, uh, with the 8th Army in Seoul, Korea. Um, And uh, also the second leg, I I served, uh, my military career was active and reserved. And uh, I had a 25-year career as a, a CEO of a behavioral health company. Uh, and then for, since my retirement from the military in 2010, I've been with the University of Charleston, with, uh, primarily with the leadership program, uh, serving as the dean and as, also as a, a faculty member. Uh, and that's where Cameron and I work together in the doctorate executive leadership program.
0: So, you know, one of the things throughout my years um, being with the University of Charleston, uh, one thing I cannot forget is... I think you gave this this uh, speech a couple times is or really your your story is your experience uh, in the military experiencing the recovery efforts of Hurricane Katrina. And I really think that's a spectacular story. I know this is I know where you're in education right now, but historically you're in um, in the military. So t- to walk us through um, that experience and um, and what you learned from that.
1: Uh, and that probably, I, I Cameron, was the um, the highlight of my leadership experience as well. Uh, I, would uh, in the West Virginia Guard, had been, one of my responsibilities was as a task force commander for um, FEMA-declared natural disasters, and we have 55 counties in West Virginia. And during my tenure, all 55 counties had been involved in a a natural disaster at least one time uh, in a total of uh, 70 to 75 uh, such experiences and uh, so i had done that and then uh, you know when katrina hit i was actually in uh, korea and uh, my boss called me on my way home and said could you go uh, and take a group down to uh, louisiana to Help the Louisiana national guard, uh, recover. Uh, and I'd been watching, uh, along with everybody else, the, the building of the storm and whatever, and, and, uh, just the magnitude of it and was, um, um, awed by it. But so I told him I'd be glad to go. And, uh, he said, I think you'll go down for two weeks. And what we want you to do is to take a, a, a crew with you and, uh, relieve the Louisiana Guard because many of them have had family members uh, affected. They've lost their homes, they've had deaths, they've lost uh, pretty much everything, and, and relieve them until they can get settled and get back to, in the uh, recovery effort. So it uh, was uh, one of those things that um, uh, you never I forget, I was uh, on the way home from uh, Korea when I talked with him. I I think I actually was in Japan. And uh, when I got the flight back to Charleston, uh, we'd planned to uh, meet and then get the group together and leave uh, early afternoon. But when they got to Charleston, the uh, airstrip um, closed. We actually had a malfunction on the plane. And so we couldn't land in Charleston as we had anticipated and <clears throat> actually landed in Bristol, uh, Tennessee in Virginia in the Tri-State Airport there, which is about a five-hour uh, bus trip back to Charleston. So I got home after uh, leaving Korea and not sleeping for a day and a half anyway. And uh, that bus trip and still met the schedule to, to leave, um, to go to New Orleans. Uh, we Um, I I had selected um, 30 key people, 30-some key people to go with me that had been on many uh, um, of those uh, flood and uh, bad weather situations in West Virginia. So they were very experienced. So I wanted to to take the right people with me. And uh, we flew down on a C-130 to Bell Chase Naval Station, and I was able to go up in the cockpit to kind of do a... Aerial surveys with it, and uh, it was devastation beyond belief. Uh, you know, um, that whole area is under sea level, and uh, so the the it had extensive hurricane damage, but also the, as you know, the, the levees had broken, and there was water every place. And being below sea level, it's like uh, soup in a bowl. You know, you pour it in, and and there's no way to get it out. You. Uh, and their traditional pumps uh, had been underwater as well, so they didn't work, and so you had this situation, and, and when I got there, it was about the fourth or fifth day, uh, and it was, um, the the region was totally decimated, and um, General Tackett, when I got on the ground and was able to talk with him, asked me how bad it is, and, and I told him, you know, the 80 mile stretch from Charleston to West Virginia to Huntington, I said, if you take all that area, everything in it and and just destroy it, I mean, talking about all the infrastructure, hospitals, medical clinics, fire departments, police departments, schools, if you take all that and destroy it and then multiply that by 14, you get an idea of how widespread the devastation was. So Cameron, when I got there and and for the first, um, it was the largest um, military airlift uh, since World War II. We actually moved in um, 42,000 troops over a three day period. And when I got there, I found that there was no organization, no structure, no mission. What I found out later that the states have been asked to do is to send as many people as quickly as you can uh, to Louisiana, and, and we'll kind of figure it out when we get there in terms of what we're going to do, because there was not a really a national plan for a disaster of that magnitude. So uh, part of the challenge uh, for me was to uh, uh, know exactly what to do, and, and when I said earlier, it was the most challenging time for me as a leader, because there was uh, no mission, no one clearly in charge, and uh, there was um, no resources, if you will. Uh, We'd been asked to take uh, water and and, uh, food uh, for three days. Uh, And uh, when we landed at Bell Chase again, there was no electricity. The base had been evacuated. Um, It was a Naval naval Air Station, and and, uh, they had moved uh, the... uh, all their planes and, and, and equipment out, uh, so base, it was basically emptied. But then it got hit by the hurricane, so it had extensive damage as well. And, and one of the best examples of leadership that, uh, as we started working together initially as an ad hoc group um, of senior officers, who again with no clear plan, we knew we had this major airlift, and uh, we. Um, kind of connived with the pilots who had, had taken their planes out and come back. So they actually served as air, air traffic controllers. Uh, and they also uh, operated uh, in uh, to hmm. remove equipment and then those kind of things that were starting to come in. So in essence, we had about 40,000 people on an airstrip in uh, really intense heat, uh, and then um, no way to um, move equipment out of there other than to stockpile it as it came in. So, those uh, um, pilots from the 159th Fighter Group <coughs> actually uh, operated the sixth busiest airport in the world for four days without a single accident. Uh, which was an amazing, amazing feat. So anyway, we, uh, I, I hooked up with the, uh, um, my counterpart from uh, Louisiana, uh, um, another, at that time, Brigadier General Hunt Downer. And uh, Hunt uh, and I talked and he said, how are we going to do this? And I said, well, do you have a plan or do you have an idea? And he said, well, no, you're senior. be in charge and i'll be your deputy and i said well no it's your state you you be the commander uh, and uh, i'll be your deputy and it was it was funny we instantly you know had a wonderful relationship and i said have you done this before and he said no and i said well i've done similar things 70 plus times so uh you be in charge but do what i tell you and that worked out really well. It ended up, he had been in the Louisiana legislature for 29 years and was Speaker of the House, and he has a great sense of humor, and he said one of the great things about that experience, he served 29 years without getting indicted in Louisiana, which was quite quite an effort. But we put together an organization and created a structure for it just out of uh, creativity and imagination because what was it most like? And we created a concept called a direct support brigade. And then we set up an initial uh, operations group and that was gonna deal with what was right in front of us. And that was to continue the evacuations and and the rescue piece. And then a short-term planning group that was trying to figure out how we're going to start getting things opened up a little bit. And we said that group would uh, take 72 hours to a week. And then we said we really need to bring a a group in to plan for the longer recovery. Uh, So we created a structure, and I think the key to it was separating uh, the operations from the planning and then planning from short and long range. And, and I think my background and experience in kind of organizational leadership helped with that. But uh, um, another really, uh, I think, two other really significant leadership pieces was the uh, Coast Guard uh, was there and uh, they did uh, Cameron almost 14,000 rooftop rescues over that period without, again, a single loss of life in the rescue operation itself, which was phenomenal because the, the communication was not good and the, the weather was not good and the, the conditions on the ground were deplorable. So these were people still hanging on rooftops and then that kind of stuff. And then the, the other uh, piece of, that was just um, really uh, came out of creativity and imagination this group of uh, junior leaders we tasked with setting up uh, an operational headquarters, uh, and they basically created means to uh, assess and diagnose the situation and and establish communication when there really was none with anyone. So we had some uh, special forces operators that we sent with that group, and they went out on the ground and really could discover where, where the problem areas were and, and beginning uh, to, uh, to uh, start the recovery. But it was, you know, all those 70 things that I'd done before really paled in comparison. This, this was um, of a magnitude that I'd never experienced, never thought about, really. Um, so it was quite a quite an operation. And my two, I mentioned earlier that I was planning on staying two weeks. It ended up being about seven months. Uh, all told before we could uh, get it to the point that it was uh, recoverable then. Um, lots of other issues that that uh, came up from dealing with the situation on the ground from uh, dealing with um, uh, some corruption, um, those kind of things that were not anything that I'd, uh, had ever thought about or planned on, but uh, just came about it in that unique situation there.
0: Yeah, Dr. Barnett, that's a really amazing story. And so what was some of the leadership lessons that you took away from that or how did you grow, grow yourself as as a leader through, through that experience?
1: You know, I, Cameron, the first thing is to... Um, you know, we always talk about it's important for leaders to have uh, self-regard and self-awareness. And uh, I was again—I had 10 years' experience uh, leading a, a major organization and, and had done all kinds of things. Um, we'd uh, had the you know the deployment experience, and uh, we'd really emphasize leadership in the West Virginia Guard and education. So. Uh, we had the, uh, the most educated workforce in West Virginia. We created a tuition assistance bill in 1995. So at that time, about uh, 6% of the Guard had a um, a degree. And, and when I left in 2010, 78% either had a degree or were um, involved in it. So it had uh, people who were... Uh, really capable and uh, understood leadership and and leading where you are, if that makes sense. And it was a challenge for me personally, uh, because I'd never experienced anything of that magnitude with no organization, no mission, no laid out resources, just saying, can I do this? What is it that I've got to do? Mm. And so that first 24 hours was a real challenge for me personally, because I said, you know, uh, I can't bring all these people here and just have them sit here on the airstrip and all this extreme heat with no food, no water, no bathrooms, uh, uh, you know, we've got to figure it out. <clears throat> and so after I got over that, uh, can I do it? You know, and i said, you know, you're going to give it your best shot. Mm-hmm. Then I think that was the, the first real challenge. And then You know, you had to create um, as a second phase of it, some kind of instant vision that people could buy into. And uh, one of the uh, best examples of that is many of the troops that were coming in had just come back from uh, deployment uh, in Iraq. And they were all uh, battle tested, but they were coming into New Orleans, assuming it was like their last battle station where, there was an enemy out there and it got compounded because there, there were some rumors of shooting uh, in New Orleans itself. And, uh, and so many of the people came in with the mindset of uh, we're here to restore law and order and take uh, control, if you will. Well. And uh, one of the things that we did overnight was to create. Alternative mindset of no, we're not here, we're not going to be armed. Uh, we're, we're here, and we created a thing which you see a lot now, but uh, it was called Neighbors Helping Neighbors, yeah. And uh, we created these bumper um, metallic, and, and again, that group that I talked about that was most creative. I have no idea how they got things done, got signs for all the vehicles. That were magnetized so that we could put slap them on everything we were doing, uh, and it says neighbors helping neighbors, and that became the theme of the c- campaign. So, uh, the the second challenge after uh, I uh, decided, you know, I had to do something was to change the mindset from uh, from this is not a battlefield to this is uh, neighbors helping neighbors, and we're reaching out to people in need, and to create that. Uh, mindset and, and uh, i had to actually send a couple of people home who did not want to disarm their troops not wanting to to buy into them that. that that was a problem for a little bit but not very long and going back to what i was mentioning about the shooting really what that turned out to be were um, kind of the drug lords fighting over territory when the flood hit they wanted to expand their area of operations so they were actually in some skirmishes among themselves um then uh, I mentioned corruption before, and it was um, not totally new to me because of my Army experience, but uh, where bribery is, is a way of life. And uh, um, a couple of instances of that, um, we were, uh, General Downer and I were setting up a food operations and uh, uh, the person who got the contract, and again, that contract was let before the water was receding so i don't know exactly how that happened beforehand but the person running that said you know uh, i'm authorized to pay you up to 2500 dollars to make sure things go well mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so we, we had to set him straight that you know we're, we're not to be bribed and uh, you know it'll go well if you get the food where it's supposed to be it on time uh, and uh, so that was another an example of that another one uh the there was um uh, uh, and i think you know the following story you know several of the officials went to jail and that kind of stuff after that but mm-hmm. the, the uh, police uh, it was reported that uh, when they were called back to work a third of them didn't come didn't come back and when we explored that further we found that they were never there to begin with they were phantom employees who were receiving checks of some type so number of those type things you know just uh, in making sure that uh, we didn't uh, allow any of that stuff to damage the uh, reputation of the military in the guard, in, in particular so we can make sure the people were tuned that uh, they were not to um, take bribes or, or gifts or whatever else for special favors you know and those types of situations people will do you know when they're desperate to get help for their areas they'll do things they normally wouldn't do but you have to be uh, cautious about that and uh, so those leadership things ranged from you know where do i sleep Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know i wanted to be visible you know because everybody was miserable i wanted them to know that i was miserable with them so i slept on my humvee hood and encourage them because of the snakes to not sleep on the ground, but to sleep in the area. Uh, and that was another just thing you have to do leadership-wise to demonstrate that you are empathetic and you understand, but you've got a mission to accomplish.
0: Yeah. So D- Dr. Barnett, um, you know, with this experience, I feel like it's very applicable to to those listening, whether they're within an organization, in education and and whatever avenue in government. And oftentimes, you know, people are tasked with these leadership roles where it's chaos, right? It might not be a Hurricane Katrina, but figuratively it might be literally where things are going underwater, things are chaotic. And um, what advice do you have for those that are, could be in those roles now, or might encounter that in the future and feel like they not, might not be prepared for it.
1: I, I think, um, you know, a couple of basic understandings, you know, and people debate the difference between leadership and management. And, and and leadership for me is right-brained, it's creativity and imagination, uh, and it's future-oriented, uh, and leading people through whatever it is to where, where they wouldn't necessarily go by themselves. And management is kind of the left brain history and experience. And the way I think about it, Kim, most simply is that you need to lead until you can manage, meaning that, uh, you know, you, uh, as we did in Katrina, you create structure and you create um, order, and then you manage it until you have to lead again. And, and a really good example of that that happened there. Uh, is that after about, um, I think, 25 days or so, everything was getting fairly routine and normal and, you know, the, the management kind of stuff. And then Hurricane Rita reared its ugly head. And so we had to lead again, making decisions, not because you know, we hadn't experienced that there yet. But do we stay? Uh, do we leave? Uh how, would, how do we do how do how we get ready for the aftermath of that while we're still doing this, if that makes sense to you? So again, we, we led in the initial phase, we got some uh, procedures, some operations, some um, policies, even though they were temporary on that operation in place. So it was orderly, so you can manage, but then this crisis, another crisis hit, so you got to lead again. Uh, So the way I think about it is, you know, you have to lead until you can manage, then you manage till you have to lead again. Uh, And you got to be able to know um, which is which, because when people and what organizations tend to do, in my opinion, is that when a crisis hits, they try to manage harder rather than lead. They create more rules. Uh, more control, more micromanagement, if you will, rather than recognizing this is chaotic, this is complex. So we've got to to put on our thinking hats and and our uh, creativity and our imagination and and figure it out. Not uh, Because when we manage it harder, it tends to get worse because we, we lose the engagement of people and, uh, and of followers.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing your story, uh, Dr. Barnett. I think it's a, a really intriguing story and also thank you for, for your service.
1: Well, Thank you and uh, I'm really proud of what you're doing, Cam. Uh, you know, we we attempt to uh, develop what we call scholar practitioners and you're exemplifying that uh, extremely well. So I commend you for it and
0: wish you yeah. the best in, your future leadership journey. Thank you. I'm trying. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> but um, before we wrap up here, Dr. Barnett, and you know, thank you for for all that you did throughout. you know, not not only through my tenure with the University of Charleston, but our cohort. You're very uh, instrumental in in our each and every one of our our successes, and um, uh, you're truly a part of a part of that story too.
1: Well, great, thank you. You had a wonderful group.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: they're doing great things.
0: Yeah, the Dell Avengers. We still stay in touch every day, <laughs> as we call it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but speaking of speaking of that, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a huge champion of higher education, and I know you are as well. And so I talk about that in my book, Navigation Discovery, a dedicated chapter to higher education. So, in your opinion, Dr. Barnett. Um, working at the University of Charleston, you you are also a huge champion of higher education. Um, could you tell us a little bit about why you know because there's people listening that might be settled with um, you know high school diploma or um, an undergraduate degree. Why should uh, individuals look to strive for higher education? What what's the true true value of that in in your opinion?
1: I, I think that. It's related to the why, you know, uh, for instance, uh, lots of people who have 20 years in the military come come out of that experience with really good direct leadership experience and they can apply what they've been trained to do, but they may not understand the why. And and, um, and sometimes when the how doesn't work, uh, why it's not working, if that makes sense to you. And, and, uh, uh, when you, uh, I, I say, you know, that um, the difference between a master's degree and a doctorate, for instance, the, the master's can um, summarize knowledge and the doctorate can create new knowledge based on, And but you have to be able to have that summary of knowledge hmm. first. And, and people are pretty good about, it's fairly easy to uh, take things apart and criticize and whatever else, but the real challenge is is to put it back together in a more meaningful way through synthesis and collaboration uh, to uh, add to the body of knowledge, if you will. And I think only education does that. So I'd encourage people, you know, um, only uh, about a percent and a half of the population has a doctorate. uh, And there's a reason for that. But that percent and a half has a tremendous impact. Uh, and so in leadership, particularly, we want them to do it in the right way. And that is kind of, as we talk about the inside out, people have initially strong character and competence and then knowledge. And then again, the, the leadership ability to make, make a difference with that. And again, as, as you're doing with kind of creating that awareness and understanding of leadership, mm. that uh, I don't, th- you, you, you could do it, but not to the level or extent and, and the, meaningfulness that you're doing now with your education.
0: Thank you for that, Dr. Barnett. Uh, what are some of the programs that uh, University of Charleston has to offer that, um, that people are thinking about pursuing higher education?
1: Yes, we have um, leadership degrees. And, and again, different from business leadership, if you will, uh, for frontline leaders, and that's an associate degree. And we have a bachelor's degree for the organizational level. Uh, then uh, at the corporate level uh, for the support supporting roles and uh, action officers and project managers, et cetera, we've got a master's in strategic leadership and, and would culminate uh, with your degree with the doctorate of executive leadership for those that either want to uh, lead at the highest level or make an impact on developing leaders through either education Uh, coaching, uh, mentoring, and uh, you find that uh, the leadership thing is like uh, the the genie in the bottle. Once you take it out, you can't put it back. So most of those people uh, who go all all the way through and get the executive level doctorate do a combination. They teach, they train, they mentor, they lead, uh, they write. so once you take it out going back to the genie once you take it out of the bottle you can't put it back so you leave wherever you are and you make a difference and sometimes in a very crass way you recognize stupid when you see it and you're obligated (laughs) obligated to fix it
0: yeah yeah well that's that's awesome dr Barnett. thank you for all that you do at the university of charleston and um you know if you just impacted me and my fellow fellow cohort of of eight people. So I know you're you're impacting in and really in multiples with, with what you're doing in in the area of uh, leadership.
1: Cameron, thank you again.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing your story and thank you again for for being being on the podcast and taking the time out.
1: Glad to do it. Best of luck to you. All right, thanks.
0: Well I really hope you enjoy that podcast episode with Dr. Barnett and hope you gathered some awesome insights on leading through chaos and crisis. Also, really appreciate all the insights that he shared on higher education. And I also talk about the importance of higher education through kind of my experience in my first ever book, Navigation and Discovery. And if you have not received that copy, or if you would like to get it for someone that you know that really needs to hear the message, of navigation and discovery you can get it now at cameronsingbook.com. feel free to check out some of the previous episodes of this podcast navigation and discovery with Cameron Singh and also feel free to check out my website cameronsing.com. thank you again for tuning in I appreciate all your support and hope this podcast is adding value to you wherever you're at in your journey of navigation and discovery thank you